Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Meadowview Weekly Sermon Podcast. We're a church who seeks to grow in Christ, gather in community, and go in obedience to the Great Commission. All right, good morning. Happy Resurrection Sunday to you. He is risen. I'm sure you said he is risen indeed. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them and turn to Mark. Now, for the past few weeks, we've been kind of going through the first chapter and then into the second chapter. And this morning, we're going we're gonna to skip ahead, okay? So when I was a child and when I was in school, I wasn't really a great reader. I had to go to summer school one time because I couldn't read very well. And uh, every time the teachers would give us a, a reading assignment, I, I really struggled with it. And so there was this thing that was invented, and I'm going to really age myself here because I'm not quite sure these are even around anymore. Uh, but there was this thing called Cliff's Notes, right? Cliff's Notes. They saved me on so many occasions. I would just kind of turn to those, and I would kind of get the gist of the story. Now, if you don't know what a Cliff's Notes is, then you're not really missing out on anything. Uh, you know, you could probably just read the first sentence and the last sentence of every paragraph and, and get the same thing that Cliff's Notes gave. But the thing was, is you wanted to walk away with the most important part of the story. And so as we skip ahead to Mark chapter 16, I hope you have your Bibles. It's a familiar story for many of us. It's the story of the resurrection. Now, can you imagine hearing this story for the first time? Can you, can you just imagine the, the writer, John Mark, he's writing down the things that Peter's telling him, and it's going to these Roman Christians, many of whom are going to hear this for the very first time, read aloud as they gather together in secret because they are fearful of the persecution that's happening in Rome. Can you imagine hearing this for the first time? I mean, can you imagine having never heard the good news of Jesus Christ at all? I mean, take that in for just a moment. And imagine what it would be like to hear the story of the resurrection for the very first time. Now, I like how David Platt puts it. He's talking about unreached people, and he says, Unreached people do not know the name of Jesus or truth about who he is and what he has done. Many people who are considered unreached have never even heard of Jesus. Others may have heard his name mentioned, but they don't know who Jesus is and what he did. They are like many Americans today when it comes to someone like Confucius. They may be able to tell you that Confucius taught on philosophy or uh, the meaning of life or something along those lines, but that's the extent of it. Can you imagine not knowing who Jesus is, not knowing the truth of the gospel? Now, Paul, when he's writing to the Corinthian church, they've heard the story, but he wants to remind them of the story. He wants to remind them of the good news of the gospel. And that's exactly what I want to do this morning with you as you sit there with your Bible open and and maybe have your pen and you're ready to take notes. I want to remind you of the gospel. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 7 and then 14. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance that I also received, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance to the scriptures. Let's keep reading. 
and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. That's what Paul says. He's like, he even appeared to me. In, in verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Listen, when we get the gist of the story here, we, we've been in for chapter one and a little bit of chapter two. We're going to jump all the way to chapter 16. We're going to get the thing that we need to know for our faith to not be in vain. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. He, he says, let me remind you of the gospel. It's of first importance. I mean, no other doctrine, no other moral teaching, and no other religious practice precedes this truth. I mean, it is the most important thing that we're going to cover. It's the resurrection. It's that Christ died for sins. I mean, history tells us the Roman government executed Jesus. They executed him by one of the most cruel and excruciating forms of capital punishment ever devised. It was crucifixion. We get our English word excruciating from the Roman word out of the cross. I mean, this is the good news, and it doesn't sound like good news, but it is good news. It's of first importance. Christ died. And he not only died, but he died for our sins. Our sins were responsible for the death of Jesus. Now, I want you to say this audibly with me. Jesus died for my sins. Can you say it again? Jesus died for my sins. That's very personal. Let me remind you of the gospel. He was buried. He died. He died for our sins and he was buried. He was put in the grave. I mean, hope was lost. They rolled the stone in front of the entrance. He was buried. But let me remind you of the gospel. He was raised. This truth is essential to the gospel. If the cross is the payment for our sins, the empty tomb is the receipt. I mean, I love how the commentator puts that. If it's the payment, if the death is the payment, then the resurrection is the receipt. The resurrection proves that the transaction is complete. Now, if you and I, we go shopping, what do we want? We want that receipt because if we ever need to take anything back, if we ever need to prove that it was purchased, we need the receipt. And some of us can say, well, how can I know that Jesus died for my sins, that my sins have been forgiven? Let me tell you something. You have a receipt, and the receipt is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He not only was raised, but he appeared. He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, to James, his half-brother, the, the one who didn't believe that he was the Messiah until after the resurrection. And then Paul says, he appeared also to me. Let me remind you of the gospel. Let me remind you of this, of this importance, this truth that is of the utmost importance. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was put in a grave. He rose again and he appeared. He appeared to not just a few, but to many. Let me remind you of the gospel today because of eyewitness accounts, because of the testimony of those who heard the good news and shared it from generation to generation. And because we believed it, we celebrate the gospel. We celebrate the resurrection together today. Though we're separated and we're all, all in different homes, 
We are one in Christ, and we are one body, and we are uh, one group, one church, and we celebrate the good news. Now imagine hearing this for the first time. If you were in that, if you were in Rome, first century, and you heard this, this thing that John Mark has written down, how would you react? How would you respond? What would that mean for you personally if to hear the story in Mark chapter 16 that we're about to read together? Will you read with me? When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll the stone for us? From the entrance of the tomb. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. I mean, this is a remarkable story. Imagine hearing this for the first time. Imagine, and if you can't imagine, remember. Let me remind you of the gospel. The reality of the gospel in the resurrection is this, that you seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, but he is risen, and he's not here. Here's the place where they laid him. The reality is you have to do something with the fact that Jesus was not in the tomb that day. He wasn't there. There's an overarching, unexplainable truth and reality that everyone has to reconcile when it comes to the resurrection. There was no body in the tomb. You can't deny this truth. It's, It's historically evident. So you have three options. You can call it fraud, you can call it fiction, or you can accept it as fact. So if you're to say it's fraud, right, you would say things like, well, it must have been the swoon theory. The swoon theory, in case you're not familiar with this, is that, that Jesus simply passed out on the cross. He, he endured such pain and such agony that it caused him to pass out, and he just kind of came to after he was put in the cold, dark tomb, and he had enough strength after all of that to roll the stone away and leave. I mean, let alone the side that they took a spear and they stabbed him through the side, and, and it released blood and water from his heart. Uh, Or maybe the hallucination theory, like where they think that Jesus put some spell on people and they began to hallucinate and think that they saw him. Or what about the stolen body theory? Uh, That the disciples somehow got past all these Roman guards and they were able to take the body and run away with it? I mean, if if you say it's a fraud, then you you think it's a hoax. What if you say it's fiction? What What if you say, well, maybe they just went to the wrong tomb? Well, as you read in Scripture, you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, right? This is where they laid him. That's not not what we're able to think if it's fiction. Maybe maybe you think that these were just some over-embellished stories told by fishermen. You know how fishermen love to tell stories about how big the fish are they caught? But if it's fact, the resurrection is a reality. Jesus died for our sins, was buried, rose again, and appeared to many. If it's fact, if it's a fact, get this, 
if, it, if you take it as a truth, as a reality, then you have to admit that what Jesus said is true. If you're to say, well, he really did rise from the dead. He really did raise on the third day. There really is a resurrection. Then you have to admit that everything that he said is true. You have to admit that there's a God who created all things. And there's so many who want to debate that these days. If you think that the resurrection is true, then you have to believe that Jesus is the God in the flesh. You have to believe that Jesus came to save sinners. You have to believe that heaven and hell are real places. Jesus makes all the difference whether you go to one or the other. No one comes to the Father except through me, is what Jesus said. If you take this as fact, as truth, as a reality, then you have to believe that Jesus must have authority to be Lord over your life. I mean, if it's, if it's a fact, then we have to follow. Here's what we can't do. We can't claim Jesus' resurrection to be reality and live as if his teachings are a mere recommendation. I mean, isn't that what we do? We like to pick and choose the areas of Jesus' teaching that we think fit us best or we like best. It's like going and, and picking out the types of food that you like off the buffet line. Well, I like this one and I like this one, but I don't want any of that one. We can't do that. If we claim that the resurrection is a reality, then everything that Jesus said is not merely a recommendation. It's truth. It's fact. It should be applied to our lives. Look at what it says in John. John chapter 6, 59 through 66. Now, this is coming up after Jesus has fed the 5,000, and these large crowds of people are following him around. And, and let's pick up in verse 59. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? So they've been following Jesus. He's this miracle worker. They like it when, they get, when he gives them bread and fish. He li they like all these things. But now he's teaching in the synagogue, and they're there listening, and the disciples are hearing what he's saying, and they're saying, this is a little too difficult. This is a little too hard to listen to. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then... What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Jesus says, wait, you're having a hard time with my teaching right now. You're, you're having a hard time because you want to make it a recommendation, right? But what if you were to see me ascend back into heaven? What if you were to see the resurrection? Would that change the way you follow me? Would, would that change the way you view the things that I'm saying? Let's keep reading. Verse 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, Many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. At some point, the words of Jesus have to be more than a recommendation. They have to be the words of life. Where else would we go? We want to follow you. I mean, our response 
to the resurrection, resurrection reveals whether or not we believe it to be a reality. Let me say that again. Our response to the resurrection, it reveals whether or not we believe it to be a reality. Let me tell you this. If you believe the resurrection to be a reality, it's going to be evident in the way that you live. It's going to be evident in the way that you listen to the things that Jesus said and you apply them to your life. They're not just some recommendation of how to have a better life. No, they're, they're the words of life. You see, if you believe the resurrection to be a fact, you will live by faith. If you believe it to be fraud or fiction, you will live by feelings and consistent unfaithfulness. So let me ask you, is the resurrection become a reality? Is it a fact? Is it something that you will base your entire life on? Is it something that you will follow even when Jesus has very difficult sayings? Or is it just a recommendation? I'd like to move us into a prayer prompt. This is where I give you something to think about, and then you as an individual or you as a family, you gather for 20 seconds to 30 seconds and pray. Let me ask you this. Do you ever treat the words of Christ as a mere recommendation and not as a reality? Is there anything in your life right now that you know goes against the words of Jesus Christ, and yet you've accepted it in your life because that's what you want? That's what feels best? Let me ask you, have you made the words of Jesus just a recommendation, or are they a reality? Why don't you take a moment and pray? Pray for the reality of the resurrection to display itself in your life through faithfulness. second thing I want you to see is the response of the resurrection. At verse 7, we pick up, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. I mean, they ran straight to the disciples and Peter. They didn't say anything to anyone else. They were full of trembling and astonishment. So they went. Now, I want you to see this. It says, go tell. <laughs> the resurrection requires a response. And, and you can't miss the fact that those who have seen and heard of the resurrection are responsible for relaying that revelation to those who haven't heard and seen. From, from the very first part of the resurrection, where these women, they stumble upon an empty tomb. What's the first thing they're told to do? Go and tell. Let me tell you, if the resurrection is a reality to you, you're going to go and tell. You can't miss the fact that it's our responsibility to respond in such a way that we tell others the good news of Jesus Christ. Go and tell. You can't miss this. It's an invitation to join Jesus. He says, but go tell. He is going before you. You will see him. I mean, this reminds me of the, of the great wedding feast. 
in Matthew chapter 22, verses 9 through 10. He says, go therefore to the main roads and invite. Invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Look, if you believe that the resurrection is a reality, then there is a response, and the response is go. Go and tell. Go and invite people. It's an invitation to join Jesus. I mean, the resurrection is an invitation to join Jesus in his kingdom. He's gone before you. He's waiting there just as he said he would. I mean, look at what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4.16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry and a command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Let me tell you something. There is a resurrection and there's a resurrection for us that one day he has gone ahead of us. We're going to be joined back with him. I mean, this is a beautiful truth. It's an invitation to join Jesus in his kingdom. Let me tell you, if you know that the resurrection is a reality, then your response should be to go and tell those who have not heard. Go and tell them that Jesus is inviting them to the banquet, inviting them to be part of the kingdom, inviting them to be part of the family for all eternity. Verse 8, And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now, this response, their response to the resurrection was a genuine reaction. They were filled with awe and amazement, anxiety and angst, astonishment and alarm. I mean, they didn't know what to do because of this good news. I guarantee you, they never got over that moment. I guarantee you that they talked about that moment for years and years and years to come. I I guarantee you, every time everyone got around the table, they were like, let me tell you about the time we ran and we found that there was no one in the tomb that Jesus had resurrected. I I bet they never responded to the resurrection with apathy. I bet it was such a reality to them, they never got over it. It never became boring or something they had already learned, something they had already heard. It became life to them. Let me lead us into our next prayer prompt. When you hear the words, He is risen, He is not here, do you still get a sense of awe? Or has that truth grown apathetic in your heart? I mean, for many of us, we've heard the story of the resurrection over and over and over. But it doesn't mean that it's taken root in our heart. What's your genuine response to the fact that God in the flesh died and rose again, defeating death so that you could have life? He is risen. He is not here. Would you take a moment, whether as an individual or as a family, or as a group, and pray for a renewed awe and wonder of the reality of the resurrection. Pray for an authentic response, one that is seen in how you relay the good news to others.
Third thing, the reconciliation of the resurrection. It says there, but go tell his disciples and Peter. Now, can I remind you who's talking here? I mean, John Mark is writing down. He's being the secretary for everything that Peter is telling him, all these eyewitness accounts. And Peter took this news personally. Peter felt that the resurrection was essential to his reconciliation. He knew that this was the moment that changed his life forever. Jesus had a special hope, a special forgiveness, and a special restoration for the one who denied him the worst. And Peter knew it. Peter knew that the resurrection for him was a second chance. He had failed. He had denied the Lord three times after he said he wouldn't. And now he knows that this news, go tell Peter, means that there is hope. There is reconciliation. There is restoration for those who have failed miserably. I I love how John records this. I look in John chapter 21, verses 4 through 8. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. (laughs) He said to them, cast your nets on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Now get this, verse 7. That disciple whom Jesus loved, John, therefore said to Peter, It's the Lord. When when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, For they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards off. Peter learns that it's the resurrected King, Jesus. It's the resurrected Lord waiting there on the edge of the bank. And he can't wait for the boat. He throws himself into the sea. Get this, Peter's shame didn't keep him from swimming. His shame and his guilt for uh, failing Jesus and for denying Jesus didn't keep him separated from Jesus. I mean, do you carry shame from past sins and past failures that have caused you to practice social distancing from God? Maybe you feel like, I've messed up too much. I can't come to God. He 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 doesn't want to hear from me. He doesn't want to hear my prayers. He doesn't want to know anything. Let me tell you something. Peter shows us that no matter how bad we fail, We can run to the Lord. The resurrected king is for us. The resurrection is personal. Don't let the sins of your past keep you from coming to Jesus. Maybe right now you're holding on to some guilt that's keeping you from coming to grace. Don't let that keep you from Jesus. The resurrection is personal. It's reconciliation for all those who will believe in Jesus. Verse 15 says this, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, well, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. I mean, he was grieved. Maybe it was the third time reminded him that he denied Jesus three times. And when he heard that, he was reminded that that he had failed so miserably. 
he was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, well, then feed my sheep. Jesus is taking this moment with Peter to make it personal. He's making it personal by helping him overcome the guilt and the shame of of his past sins. The resurrection is hope. The resurrection is newness of life. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? The the resurrection of Jesus is the loving restoration and reconciliation of a believer. Do you love him? Because he desperately loves you. I mean, this most famous verse in all the Bible, John 3, 16 and 17, for God so loved the world. You may not know it, but you are so deeply loved and valued by God. You are so loved that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God so loved you that he gave up his son. Yes, he gave up his son to die, to die for your sins, to be buried, to be risen, and then to appear so that we would know that it's true. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Look, Peter was experiencing this this resurrection power, this restoration. He was realizing that it was through Jesus Christ that he could be restored with God, no matter what sins were in his life. You see, the resurrection becomes a personal reality when we experience personal reconciliation. It becomes more than a fact. It becomes the foundation of your faith. You may be watching right now, and you may be sitting there, and you may be thinking, I've known since I was a kid that it's a fact. Let me ask you, has it become the essence of your faith, of first importance? Is it the thing that drives you? Is it the thing that renews you, that reconciles you to God? Imagine hearing this news for the first time. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He's not here. Let me lead you into our final prayer prompt. How have you experienced reconciliation from sin? Have you allowed the good news of the resurrection to become a reality to you? Have you felt that personal forgiveness in your life? If not, I encourage you right now to cry out for forgiveness, to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord because he has risen from the grave. Take a moment and pray, thanking Jesus for his unconditional love. Take a moment and repeat in your prayer the words of Peter, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. If you can say that with a genuine response to the resurrection, do it right now. Pray. Tell him you love him. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You see, if you believe the resurrection is a reality, and if you believe that it requires a response, and if you believe in personal reconciliation because you've experienced, then go tell others the good news. 
If you believe that it's more than fact, but it's your faith, go, tell, feed his sheep, share the good news, invite them to the wedding banquet. Let me remind you of the gospel. Jesus died for your sins. Jesus rose to reconcile you. Your failures are forgiven. Your guilt is gone. Your reality is renewed. So how will you respond to to the resurrection today? I want to pray for us as we close, but let me remind you, if if you've made a decision or if you've said a prayer and you would like to have us pray pray for you, we'd love to hear from you at NBCGeorgetownTN at gmail.com. We'd love for you to reach out to us. But can I pray for us? Can I thank God for the resurrection? Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the truth. We thank you for the first importance that Jesus Christ, you are the way of salvation because you have died in our place. You have defeated death. You have risen from the grave and you promise reconciliation and restoration and resurrection for all those who believe in you. God, help us as we follow you in faith to not make your sayings a recommendation, but make them the foundation of our faith. Help us to follow you. Help us to go and to share the good news. Thank you, Jesus, for the resurrection and life. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you again for joining us. We hope that you have a wonderful day celebrating the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.